Hey, everyone. Welcome back to social media, although I doubt you've been off of it that long, because what else are we going to do? I'm Rebecca, and I am excited to be here with you. Uh, let's just make it real obvious. I'm standing in a pretty much empty room. The only people in here are are very talented tech guys. I don't usually uh, teach to men, but luckily it's dark enough in here that I can't see if they m make weird expressions and stuff like that. But I am happy to be here. Um, what we're doing today, guys, is this is following into kind of our new norm of every Tuesday and Thursday. We are trying to fight isolation. Come into your living room, come into your phone, your computer. Remind you that God is on his throne and that you're loved. Today is a little bit different because if um, life was normal, we would be meeting for our Tuesday Bible study today. So we are going through a six-week kind of survey of the Bible on the topic of suffering, uh, how the story of the Bible helps us in our pain. Last week, we had already scheduled to be off for spring break, which was uh, sweet of the Lord. And this week, we were, we were going to be in the book of Mark. So the way that this study has worked, if you're just tuning in, is that we started in Romans 8, which is the best of the best news of the Bible, and then used Romans to send us off into a walk through the Bible, essentially, looking for answers to our questions about suffering. Little did we know how timely this would be. We spent a week in Genesis, then a week in Exodus, and then a, a, a very compact week in the life of David. And then this week, we're in the book of Mark. So obviously, you can't get everything we're supposed to get out of a whole book of Mark in a week. So what our ladies did is that the study essentially had them in the bookends of the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter and the last chapter, with one quick stop there in the middle. And not that we can control the future, but the plan is actually that um, my friends and I, my team and I, will be writing a more extensive study on the book of Mark whether that's for this summer or next fall now, we don't really know. Um, but just so you know the context of that. So here I am up here ready to teach on the book of Mark, but guys, this is so personal for me. I don't mean that to say like that this is a selfish time for me, but kind of. I need to hear myself claim the promises of God right now. I need to discipline myself to say that what I have seen in this study and in the word is true and is good and is what will anchor my soul for such a time as this. And here's the funny thing, guys. So today is all about home, the irony of that. So what I saw as I went back into Mark, I kind of put the ladies' homework aside, the workbook aside, and just looked at Mark with fresh eyes is I saw this theme emerge, this theme of home and this theme of exile. And we are in quarantine right now. Uh, like most of the country and the world here in Iowa City, we are told that you should stay home most of the time. Who is not sick of their home? Even the most introverted among you maybe is a little bit sick of your house. Uh, my, my house has even changed for me. I've, I've always loved coming home, coming home from church or, or wherever, and it's welcoming to come home and you feel safe and you feel secure. Well, now I can't come home because I never leave home, 
But if I happen to come home, the house is very full. We have three young boys um, that we are trying to uh, keep busy and homeschool them while both my husband and I have jobs. Guys, it's gotten to the point where the smallest of things we try and make like a really big deal. So this week we made Jell-O and we made Jell-O the most impressive highlight of our week. And it worked. I couldn't believe it. I don't have many more tricks up my sleeve, so send them my way um, if you have, you know, pantry surprises. My kids are too old for crafts. It's not, all my kids want to do is play football, and it's rainy and snowy. So bring on all the ideas, guys. But home right now has even changed. We feel out of sorts even in our own home. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the theme of home and the theme of exile throughout the story of the Bible, and especially in the book of Mark. Guys, let's pray real quick. Father, I thank you that the church is not a building. It's not a mostly empty auditorium. The church is your people that you have rescued because you love them. And Lord, nothing will stop the spread of your word and the glory of your name. Nothing will stop your kingdom. And so we stand confidently today. Help us as we dig into your word. Amen. All right, we actually began our study six weeks ago within this God-made home for his people, Eden, right? It seems like a good place to start. Eden was the first home that was recorded in the Bible, and what a great home it was. No suffering, no pain, no anxiety, and no sickness. But Eden was lost. Eden was lost because of sin. And the children of God, Adam and Eve, while they were doused in a rich mercy, they became exiles. They were driven out of their home. And the way back into the garden was guarded. Two angels with flaming swords. That's pretty explicit. That's pretty clear. They were not to return home. They were exiles. This idea of home, it actually pulls through all of the Old Testament. It's really clear when the Israelites uh, settle into the promised land, when they settle into Canaan. That's like their second home, so to speak. It was a home that God designed to look like Eden, to remind them of it. It was a place for them to dwell, to settle, and to leave their days of exile behind. But then there's this whole other part of the Old Testament story that we didn't go into in our study. It's this part where the, the people of God living and settled in the, the promised land, living within the promises of God, they rebel. They disobey. They ignore the warnings of the prophets. And their punishment for that is that they would again become exiles. This time they're sent to Babylon. And there it is again. There's that theme, sin brings exile. But then the story picks up again as God's covenant holds true, as his promises remain true. He saves a remnant. He saves a group of his people, and eventually they are allowed to return to the promised land. So if you've done studies on Nehemiah or maybe Ezra, that's where we are right now. So the people of God, a small number of them, they return home, but it wasn't great. Home wasn't great. In a sense, it's like the exile was continuing for them. The glory of God wasn't visible to them like it had been in earlier years, and foreign rulers were still pressing down on them. I imagine that in those years, even though they were home, 
there was a sense of restlessness. There was a sense of longing for something more. I think we can relate with that right now. And that's what's going on when Mark's story opens. When Mark begins his gospel, that's what's going on. The children of God are home, kind of. They're living within the promised land, but they're being ruled by Rome. So it's not Pharaoh this time. It's not Babylon, but it's close enough. The context is that the people are suffering. There is a profound sense of longing. It was pretty obvious that this is not what it was supposed to be like. Can I say it again? Ladies, I think we can relate. The children of God in these New Testament times, the times when Mark is recording the story, they know God to be the promise maker. I mean, they know the stories that had gone before them, and I even think that they were up on tiptoe looking for the promises to be fulfilled. We've been using that language throughout the study of tiptoe, and I, again, I wish I could give someone credit for this uh, definition, but was it hope is faith on tiptoe? Hope is faith on tiptoe. The people of God at this time, they could not wait for the beloved son of God, the royal king, the promised offspring to come and to crush Rome so that they could again dwell in the land, lay down in green pastures, far from pain and suffering. And Mark's first chapter is so amazing to me. I feel like he's going to burst with excitement. He tries to get so much said all at once. And I've heard it said that he's like a herald for a king. I think it was the Bible Project guys who say that. You can feel all this excitement. You can feel all this emotion in this first page. I feel like Mark is screaming, kind of like I am right now. Sorry. Mark is screaming from the page like a herald. He's saying, hear ye, hear ye, the king is here. And I don't know why, but I always picture him in like those medieval jester outfits. I don't think that's like biblically sound, but you know, like the poofy pants that are probably like purple and the poopy, poof, not poopy. I just said poopy instead of poofy and it's live. So you sit here, you let the moment pass. You hope people think it's endearing and you jump back in. So Mark is this herald for the king and he's dressed however you want to imagine him dressed. And he's saying, I needed that moment of levity. That's good. Okay, time for a joke. Ready? How does this, what kind of jokes does the CDC want us to make? Inside jokes. Okay, here we go again. Here is Mark. He is saying, Hear ye, hear ye, I have an announcement. The king is here. He's screaming it from the pages. It's like he's saying, hey, weary world, here he is. Here's Jesus. And the reader, so that's us, they get the joy of putting the puzzle pieces together. That's an illustration that we've used throughout this study is that we are going to try and, and use the themes of the Bible like puzzle pieces to put them together. We talked about in week one how people have very strong opinions about puzzles. Either you love puzzles or you hate them. And now that we're all quarantined, I feel like some of you puzzle haters have probably gotten quieted. You're probably doing some puzzles. But this week, as you did your homework, you got to put those pieces together. What did we see in the text? Well, we connected that Mark, just like Paul in Romans 8, wants us to think of the Exodus. I mean, right away, he's using Exodus language. It's almost like 
if we would squint, we would see Jesus as a Moses figure showing up to deliver his people, ready to liberate them, lead them into newness, ending exile as a new exodus begins. He's there, Jesus is there, ready to lead them home. And just a couple of verses later, we, we get to read the baptism of Jesus. And we hear these notes, they're almost like a melody that makes us think of Jesus as an Isaac figure, a story that we looked at in week two. Jesus is like this long-awaited son of promise, just like the son of Abraham and Sarah. And as we recall that Isaac was called the beloved son right before his near-death experience, this week Jesus was called the beloved son right after going under the waters of baptism. It's like Mark can't wait for you to take the pieces and put them together yourself. He's saying, Jesus is the better David. He's the one that David was pointing to. Christ, meaning the anointed, the unassuming offspring of David, ready to claim his forever throne. Guys, do you feel it? Do you feel how these images are like scanning through like a highlight reel and they, they pick up speed and they're growing in vibrancy and clarity? Just on page one, we should feel this excitement from Mark. Or maybe you picture someone in John the Baptist's crowd and you're all but busting at the seams to put the puzzle pieces together. Why? Why are you so excited? Because if this is who Jesus is, if Mark is right, then your suffering has found its end. You're thinking, here it comes, here comes the grand finale. Here comes the great showdown. You are sure that your pain is going to fall hard and fast like Goliath. You are sure that your sadness is going to dissolve, much like Pharaoh's hold over the children of God. The better Adam, the better Abraham, the better Moses and David is here, and he's ready to usher you home. But let's slow down for a second. Because if you are one of the women who has been doing this study, then you have been grappling with an upside-down concept that goes through the Bible, that victory comes through suffering, that glory comes through humiliation. I found these concepts in a really great book by Jeremy Treat. And I think we need to slow down, even though Mark is moving so quickly and he's so excited, I want us to stop for a second and remember this hard concept that we're trying to understand. Slow down and let's see, could Mark have something else packed in to this short gospel? I think he does. I think that Mark displays Jesus as the exile. Do you know that word, exile? Someone who is far from home or someone who is deported, who is sent away from their home. So it almost seems like for Jesus to be the fulfillment of all of those other scriptures, he had to become an exile. I mean, just think of it simply. In the book of Mark, like Jesus is an exile. Why? Because he's not in heaven. He's not home. He is far from home. He has descended his throne, leaving heaven and becoming a nomad. Does that remind you of when God descended Mount Sinai? and moved around in the tabernacle. 
We see Jesus as an exile right there in his baptism too. He's the beloved son of God who chose to be in exile, which gives nods both to the story of Isaac as well as the story of Israel when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. But guys, look at this. Think about this. At his baptism, that is the onset of his public ministry. What an important first impression to make. You would expect for this royal victor, for this king to come in and to look strong and powerful and compelling, maybe like a politician even. But instead, you would see submission. And that would make you curious. Maybe it would make you doubt. Maybe it would make you scared. Uh, Excuse me, Jesus, when are you going to start crushing Rome under your feet? What's with all this humiliating submission? And then after the baptismal, baptismal anointing, where did Jesus go? To the wilderness. Jesus was exiled to the wilderness. Again, more questions should be asked. Um, why? Why aren't you on your way to the throne? I mean, you've been anointed. Now's when you go to the throne and you get a crown so that you can rule and bring me good. Jesus. But that's not what happened. It says that instead he allows the spirit to drive him out and he spends 40 days in the desert, no food or drink. And we took note, who was he in the company of? Wild animals, a cunning serpent like Satan and angels. And we have this moment of resemblance between Jesus and Adam. It takes us back to Eden But do you know what's way stronger than the resemblance here is the stark difference. Because we see Adam who failed in a garden of plenty and he deserved his exile. And then we see Jesus who was faithful in a desert and he chose exile. I mean, do you even see the two words that are used there? It says that the spirit drove Jesus out And it's in Genesis 3 that we read that Adam and Eve were driven out into exile. As we start to grasp Jesus as an exile, here's the question that surfaces for me. How in the world will a submissive exile bring our victory? How in the world will an exile bring me victory over my suffering? I want us to dig into that question, but I don't think we need to go any further without just addressing, without claiming how good this good news is for us today. If you're listening to this recording years from now, then this might be received differently. But right now, guys, we are in a unique time in 2020 with the coronavirus. So what difference does Jesus's exile make for a world that is deep in chaos and fear? in a pandemic. Here's some good news, guys. Jesus was in exile because he came to identify with us as exiles. Guys, you know that you're exiles right now. I don't need to convince you of that. You're probably more keenly aware than ever before as you look around that you and the people around you are exiles. This is not your home. The scene you see out your window or in your grocery store or on the news, this is not your home. Let me remind you that you were made for glory. You were made for the Garden of Eden, but in full bloom. This virus-laden land is not our home. That's why we feel anxious. That's why we feel restless. 
the thorns and the thistles, the viruses and the unknowns, they remind us that this is not our forever residence. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our hope is there. Our inheritance is there. So what can we do today with that truth? We can get up on tiptoe and look toward our forever home. I know that you feel restless right now. I know that you feel anxious. I know that you feel like you're not yourself right now. But please take comfort that this place is not our home. And furthermore, know that Jesus has forged the path of exile for you. He's gone before you. He has forged it. He has walked this road before. So therefore, you are not alone. You are not alone on the road of the exile. But the question is still sitting heavy. How can the promised royal victor, who's been talked about for all of the Old Testament, how can the promised royal victor, who's now being introduced as a suffering exile, bring our victory? I mean, the tension has been pulled through the whole Old Testament. This royal victor is supposed to bring an end to pain and suffering. But now Mark, in between the lines, is describing him as a suffering exile. How does this work out? Well, Mark's gospel shows us that Jesus' short public, public ministry would be the way of the exile. Even just that he would move from town to town, walking by the sea, kind of like a bohemian hipster. He's like a wanderer in these short years. But where he isn't like a wanderer is that his course was set. From day one, Jesus' course was set for Jerusalem, his arrival to happen on the week of Passover. As, As we saw in our homework this week, as he traveled, he invited people to follow him. Here's our question. How can an exile be our victor? How could a path characterized with humiliation and submission also be a path to victory? How can strength come from weakness? Well, this is the scene that every homesick exile needs to set their face upon today. The cross. The cross of Jesus is where we get our answer. Because this is where Jesus' exile is most explicitly captured. And it is difficult to look at. Guys, not only has Jesus left heaven, not only has he lived this unassuming life, even though he's an anointed king, not only has he spent a long, dark night asking his father to provide a way out, but now we find this royal victor willingly crawling up this ominous mountain carrying a cursed cross. Here we find that this exile is whipped and scourged and pierced and stripped and nailed to a cross. And if we look closely, we see even here Jesus as king as we see him with a crown and we see him adorned in royal purple clothes. We even see Roman soldiers bowing before him. It's like if we squint again, we would see him as Isaac, the promised son. But the promised son who this time, God would not provide a way out for. The scene is anything but resemblant of his baptism. 
I mean, it was just at the beginning of this week in our workbooks that we saw Jesus in the Jordan River. And the Father's love was so evident, right? The skies opened and the Spirit anointed him, descended on him like a dove. And the Father's voice came from heaven, assuring him, affirming his love for him. But now here at the end of the book of Mark, atop of this mountain, the sky turns dark, doesn't open. And while the sun cries out from the cross, there is only silence from the heavens. As if God had turned his back on his son, sending Jesus into a deeper exile still, could he be any further from home than he was at that moment? Could there be any greater pain than the distance between Jesus and his father? Why? Why would Jesus take on exile? Why does Jesus, who is God himself, become an exile? So that you and I could be led home. When the heavens closed to Jesus, the wounded king, the way home was opened to us. Our sins were placed on Jesus. The judgment was passed and we were given the righteousness of the Son of God. Ladies, whatever your situation is right now, severe suffering or just subtle frustration, you need to claim this as truth. Heaven is your future home. This place is not your home. And when you are in Christ, the way home is open wide. When Jesus says, follow me, he is saying, follow me home. But for now, at least for this moment right now, we are exiles. We're not home yet. And as Paul has reminded us, the way of exile is the long road home. And the long road home is going to be a grind at times. It's going to be filled with some valleys that smell like death. It's going to have some chaos. It's going to have pandemics. It's going to have panic and loss. But it is not forever. Our citizenship is in heaven. Do you feel like an exile right now? I know that you do. Now, maybe more than ever. Even our own homes don't feel the way that they're supposed to feel. Things feel off. So do you need to be reminded that Christ came to share in your exile? In your pain and in your suffering, ladies, would you turn, would you tune your ear to hear the invitation of the story of the Bible? There is an invitation to share in Christ's exile, to share in his suffering. And maybe this is more real than ever, but it will be worth it. Because we are told that when we share in Christ's sufferings, that we will also share in his glory. Part of what that means is that he will bring us home. No more exile, 
No more thorns and thistles, no more sickness, no more tears, no more uncertainty. Because the big story of the Bible throws everything on its head. Namely, that through weakness, strength is found. If you feel weak right now, then this is your good news. The story of the Bible is that through weakness, strength is found. I mean, look at Christ in his moment of weakness. The sword against all evil and suffering was raised in power, ready to crush the head of the serpent. And because we are in Christ, we too can find strength in our weakness. Are we exiles? Yes. Are we aware? Yes. But exiles who follow a wounded victor through suffering are led home. Exiles who follow a wounded victor through suffering arrive at home. And that is our very good news. Let me pray for us. God, would you help us to believe it? Lord, would you lift our gaze, get us on tiptoe, help us to look and to be excited for our home. I pray that this hour, you would help us to believe that our citizenship is in heaven. We love you, Father. Amen.